This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debate. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today, my guest on Off the Shelf is Larry Allen. Larry is the president of Allen Federal Business Partners, and um, Larry is one of the folks I go to to get, you know, a wide-ranging take on where government procurement is, and in particular, focusing on GSIs. And Larry, it's great having the show, first time in 2021. Roger, thanks very much. It's great to be back. Well, I'm looking forward to the conversation today um, and just get, hearing some of your observations about uh, about the state of procurement, state of GSA. Um, and why don't we start there with GSA and um, be just to get your assessment of where GSA is right now, you know, um, where you know, obviously we've got to transition to a new administration and just how GSA is positioned, where the schedules program is, and it's GWACs as well. Your thoughts? Roger, my thoughts are that we you know, we do have some new leadership in the agency. Uh, we don't have an administrator yet at GSA, but we have an acting administrator who clearly uh, is in tune with the White House and their overall message. Uh, similarly, we do have a Federal Acquisition Service Commissioner uh, in Sonny Hashimi, uh, not new to us, but new to the acquisition role coming in from uh, being CIO previously. Uh, and it's a big change to go from CIO to running the multifaceted Federal Acquisition Service. But certainly, I think he's hit the ground running, Roger. Uh, so we've got a new team in, uh, which means that there's very little lag time in transitioning from priorities that may have been in place uh, as recently as six months ago to now. So what are some of those priorities going to be? Well, thankfully, the team has already shared some of those with us. So we're looking at diversity and equity in the acquisition workforce. Uh, we're looking at uh, climate change. We're looking at continued COVID relief and supporting uh, the economy for recovering from the impact of the pandemic. Those are the four main priorities that have been shared with industry and everybody else about what this team at GSA wants to look at. For contractors, Roger, I think that poses some really interesting questions. I mean, certainly contractors have supported GSA and other agencies in providing protective equipment gear throughout the pandemic and will continue to do so. Uh, you know, contracting uh, Contractors are happy to work, I think, with contracting officials uh, who are well qualified and who understand how to be good business partners, regardless of you know their socioeconomic status. So you know what I think contractors are interested in is working with good business partners, uh, and GSA has generally been a good business partner for them to work with. I don't expect that to change. The thing that I think most contractors need to probably take a look at is this whole business around climate change. And what that might mean in terms of how GSA 
works with contractors or perhaps just directs contractors uh, in terms of green traits, Roger? Are we talking about not just green products, things that, for example, meet the Energy Star requirements? We've had that for a while. But you know, what are you doing in your business to make sure that you're uh, in an ecologically sound business? You know, what type of lead status does your building have? Things of that nature. What types of uh, policies does your company have to make it an eco-friendly company? Uh, and then that could potentially make its way into uh, acquisition strategies for the government. And that would be something that contractors would have to acknowledge and address. Yeah, Larry, I think, um, you yeah, we'll just focus on that sustainability, you know, environmental footprint sort of uh, priority. Um, and, and I think you're, I think you're right. I think what we're, we're going to see over time is um, a greater focus in the procurement um, system on environmental considerations, whether, you know, and there's two aspects of that, right? There's like what we're, what we buy, I uh, think more, energy efficient? Um, are we buying, um, you know, renewable capabilities? But to your point, I think we're going to start seeing um, that environmental footprint and sustainability and lead certified work their way into evaluation criteria. Um, I don't know if you recall, but I think it, towards the end of the Obama administration, there was the beginnings of an effort to look at including evaluation criteria in all contracts, regardless of whether it was directly for environmental capabilities or it could have been professional services where companies would be required to provide some data on, you know, their sustainability efforts as part of the evaluation. Um, do you see that you know, coming back? I mean, I, I think that's sort of what you said, but I, I think it's going to be, uh, a pretty direct correlation to that. I do see it coming back, Roger, and I think we'll see some of it start to emerge reasonably quickly. You pointed out that these were initiatives that had started with the uh, end of the Obama administration. Whether you're in GSA or other government agencies, so many people coming in for the Biden administration came from the Obama administration. Some of them are even in the same positions uh, they were in previously. It's going to be a short time before we start seeing some of these things come out uh, in actual policies, either in draft or not in draft, uh, something that hopefully industry will have an opportunity to engage uh, GSA and other government agencies with and dialogue so that everybody understands what the costs and benefits are. You know, what are the trade-offs? Everybody, I think, today wants to be seen as positive on the environment and green, but uh, everybody also you know, has a business to run. Uh, and the government uh, likes to say that it will pay for certain things, but the reality is that when you get in a competitive situation, it's not always the case. Government um, will make sure that it's getting good value, but sometimes that's really best analyzed as low price. So, uh, we have to have the conversation on uh, what these green initiatives are going to mean and what the government expects from industry. And then industry has to tell the government people back, you know, we can do this, we can't do that. But the things we can do, you know, we'll make the investment in, but somebody has to help us pay for that investment. Uh, 
in the rates that we provide to the government. And as long as everybody's on board with that, that can be a good discussion. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right, Larry. I think you know your uh, the observation with regard to the private sector and the government. You know, there is a great deal of uh, focus across corporations on you know their environmental footprint. So I do think there's an opportunity here, and I think the key to it, um, which you you alluded to or directly said, is that is communication and transparency and trying to work together government industry to find the way forward, you know, and just um, on that perspective, you know, the, the coalition has like, in a certain sense, restarted our green committee <laughs> that I think you started originally right. uh, back in the day to, you know, because it's something that, you know, clearly is a priority for um, this administration. And it's something I know our members are very uh, interested in hearing from the administration and their perspectives on it. And, uh, and again, that communication is going to be key to it. Um, you know, we're almost right up on the break and, you know, you brought up another topic, low price, technically acceptable and best value. And when we come back, uh, I'd like to pull that string a little bit with you and then also just go back to the leadership at GSA and just your thoughts on the, um, whether it's the acting administrator, Kale, or, you know, the, the folks, the folks have GSA experience and they, and they have government experience and what does that, what's that going to mean? you know, as things um, um, pick up across government um, and, and at GSA and GSA's programs. My guest today is Larry Allen. Larry is the president of Allen Federal Business Partners. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Larry Allen, president of Allen Federal Business Partners. And uh, Larry, um, if I'm just following up at the end of the last segment, um, low price, technically acceptable, uh, where we are right now with it. What, what, what are your thoughts? I, I know, I know you, you, you connected it to some of the, you know, environmental footprint, sustainability, um, opportunities that the government has, but the flip side of that is, you know, when you're driving to low price, you know, how do you afford those things? Roger, this has been kind of a constant struggle in government uh, for some time. It's really uh, ebbed and flowed over the last 10 or 12 years. You know, about 12 years ago, I think LPTA was at an all-time high, and the government literally paid the price in some cases uh, for that acquisition approach. And it wasn't just always paying the low price and going on their way. Uh, to the point where DOD set out a number of directives, some encouraged by Congress, on where LPTA contracting could be used and perhaps where it might not be the best approach. Uh, what's interesting to me today is, you know, we recently went through in the schedules program, schedules consolidation. In fact, it's still going on for some people and will continue to go on for a couple of years as they consolidate contracts that multiple companies have. You look at the uh, communication that the schedules program office has had with industry, and it's been literally before day one, Roger. They've been out early talking to uh, the coalition. They've been talking to other industry groups. They've been talking to individual contractors uh, so that everybody understood where the agency was headed. And if there was a direction in which they were headed that people had some concerns about, 
industry was able to weigh in with those concerns. So it was, a, I think, almost everybody felt like this was a very collaborative process, that there were very few surprises, so long as you were paying attention. And if you weren't paying attention on industry side, that's unfortunate because GSA really did a great job of trying to communicate. In contrast, we have had over the last year or so this whole best price on schedule push that there's been almost no communication with industry around. It's the same multiple award schedule program, but ironically, it's not the GSA program management office that appears to be involved in this push towards low price, Roger. It appears to be held more above that program manager level, more in the overall acquisition policy office inside GSA together with the GSA IG. And even if you try to talk to them about, hey, we know what's going on here. Can we understand a little bit better about where you're headed? The type of information we get back is is very minimal and it's not particularly helpful. It's kind of, you know, well, this is what we're doing and there's no discussion about why or no discussion about you know, what industry might be able to do to work with GSA on it. So the result is uh, you have people who are being told, take your pr products off schedule, take your services off schedule if you can't meet this price. And the price could be at a level below which the company can make a profit. The result is you do see fewer things on schedule today, not significantly fewer, but if you were a federal buyer expecting to see an increase in the offerings of schedule offerings uh, and, and increased competition, you probably don't see increased competition in some areas. What you're going to see is uh, less competition uh, with people who are willing to have very low costs, offer loss leaders, things of that nature. Uh, that takes the schedules program, I think, in a very different direction. Uh, from uh, where it probably should be in terms of being able to fit a variety of needs. It's a big government out there. Uh, but that the curious thing is, you know, here you have, it's the same federal acquisition service, people inside it, to some extent anyway. Uh, some of people are very, very good at communicating and talking, and some people aren't. So as we go forward from the schedules and we go into things like Green procurement. We go into things, something we haven't talked about yet, but we know is a Biden administration uh, priority on small business use. We've, as we go into the discussions about small business uses, we have the larger discussions about what the new Buy American Act regulations are going to look like. Communication is going to be the key to getting those things implemented in a way that meets policy objectives but minimizes the opportunities for unintended consequences. So I think that's my, my two cents for the incoming leaders uh, to make sure that they continue to engage industry partners and customer agencies so that everybody has an opportunity to weigh in on what's happening. You know, the old Maxim Roger from baseball movie is, if you build it, they will come. But that's not the case in government acquisition. If you build an acquisition system that doesn't meet customer needs uh, or meets only a narrow slice of those needs, those customers won't come and they will in fact go elsewhere. 
Uh, history is on the side of government customers walking with their checkbooks uh, to other acquisition programs that do meet their needs. So we want to make sure that they continue to come to GSA. GSA make, wants to make sure that it continues to fulfill its mission. It's all going to have to be done with balancing some of the policy initiatives with how they work inside of a business climate. Well, Larry, I think um, you know, when you mentioned communication, I think that's, uh, uh, you know, in, in this area, it's a cross-cutting sort of issue. It, um, you know, just the idea that, you know, that driving to a low price, you know, and doing horizontal price comparisons without providing the context to the companies um, as to where, you know, GSA has found this low price, you know, has GSA considered different, differing terms and conditions, um, you know, even in the context of comparing a contract price to an order price, they're fundamentally different you know, terms and conditions there. The the price you could potentially compete at for a, a firm uh, fixed order for 10,000 widgets is different than the price on a contract where all you have is a guaranteed minimum of, you know, $2,500 and then the opportunity to compete in the market. And I don't, you know, and to your point, I think there's um, a gap in communication um, and in some sense, an understanding of the market. I know, you know, in the pandemic as well, there there are issues with regard to production um, and demand that you know have driven pricing as well. Um, and just being able to have the opportunity to explain that and and engage with government um, folks and the contracting folks, I think, is vitally important to a successful program. To your point, that meets people's uh, requirements. I, I agree. And I think it, uh, you have to have the discussion in multiple levels, Roger, the contracting level is certainly one of them. That's where a number of companies are first seeing this reality, uh, but it has to go up the chain. It has to go up the chain to some of the people that run programs. Let's take, for example, the professional services schedule, a very significant component of the program uh, today. And, you know, a lot of the discussions about lowering already approved rates are coming from the PSS. And you, know, you hear some of the words coming out from senior level managers in the PSS. The old canard schedule prices are too high. Roger, the first time I heard that I had hair. So it's been around for an awfully long time. Well, that could have been a long time ago, Larry, yeah, or a short time ago. Which is- <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, it was a long time uh, back uh, in the annals of history. But the uh, main point is that if you've got a senior manager who's just repeating something that somebody else took them, told them, that's an issue. If you're a senior manager, you should, by nature, be able to listen and want to listen to multiple viewpoints and understand really what's going on here rather than just going out and haphazardly repeating a canard in front of a group of people because that does two things. One, it makes people think, well, maybe the schedules are too priced too high or two, it makes the person saying, uh, making the statement, you know, look less than they perhaps could look if they had bothered to, take the time and do a little bit more investigation and dialogue with industry. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right there. And we'll continue that discussion of the services marketplace when we come back uh, from the break, Larry. Uh, okay, sound good? Very good. Yep. All right. Uh, my guest today is Larry Allen. He is president of Allen Federal Business Partners. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Larry Allen, president of Allen Federal Business Partners. And you know, we're, we started talking about, um, or you brought up uh, professional services, Larry, and um, you know, just in terms of driving price and um, and you know, quote and you know, renegotiating uh, contract prices that had already been determined fair and reasonable. You know, one of the interesting dynamics and constructs I did look at this back a while ago is you, it, prices and and you know and rates and what you pay people do, doesn't go down, right? Right. Uh, in every year, the government um, you know gets a cost of living increase or you know a percentage increase in pay, and then there's the step ladder within you know the the various grades that are used to help, you know, reward uh, folks for, you know, their good work. Um, and, and then just looking at over the years, you know, the contracting officer pay over the last de- two decades or so has, has, has doubled at GSA, you know, and, you know, what's true there happens in the, the private sector as well, especially if you want really, really good people to work for you and perform tasks for on behalf of customers. So, it's an interesting dynamic. Um, what do you, what do you think um, uh, the potential uh, for Section eight seventy six and you know and basically you know that authority not to evaluate price at the contract level but have it focused on you know task order competition for agency specific requirements in the in services environment? Have, are you look tracking that as well? I am, Roger. I am, and I think there's a tremendous amount of potential for uh, Section 8876 non-price schedules, non-price contracts to move forward at GSA. You know, you have all of this kind of an artificial construct at the contract level on labor rates. And, you know, people are telling you what your standard labor rates are. But labor rates inherently, unless we're talking about non-professional blue-collar labor rates, and even then, Roger, these are not always commoditizable labor rates. Uh, and the reality is that, you know, most contractors don't bid a systems engineer three to work on a project like you would as if you were buying, you know, a new air filter for your car. Uh, they, the you know, labor rates get mixed up, uh, with different people who are going to work on the project. You synthesize the thing through and you come up with the price. At its core, 876 eliminates kind of that artificial uh, premise of having hourly labor rates on a contract and it enables you the contractor and your customer to negotiate project-based rates based on the labor mix that you think is most appropriate so uh, from a, from that point from the schedules point and the contract level point you do away with some uh, some real sticking points that you and I have kind of gone over here on the show today. Uh, you also reduce some of the contract compliance uh, responsibilities that go with having labor rates uh, at the contract level. Uh, and you're shifting 
the discussion to where the actual project is. And you've hinted at it and I've hinted at it, but the basic fact is that if you're a company, whether you're a government contractor or not, if you're a company that's looking at a real piece of work and you know it's going to be a competitive situation, you're going to price that solution accordingly, which is a lot easier for you to do than come up with standard a standard rate card, if you will, that uh, may reflect what you're doing to some extent, but doesn't really reflect much beyond the absolute basics of what you have to offer. Uh, so I think that's good. The, the, the challenge, I think, that GSA and industry are going to have with non-price contracts is being able to sell the idea to customer agencies that uh, these are still good contracts to use and that they are uh, worth uh, uh, investing in if you're a customer agency. And what I mean by that is that you know, GSA will vet companies, not just on pricing, but they'll vet them on their ability to perform work for their financial soundness. They will uh, look at their size status to ensure that they're the size they say they are, all those things that are important and I think still provide value. Uh, but their GSA and, and industry are going to have to work together to say, here are all of the things you get customer agency by using this GSA solution, even though you're not going to get a contract level price. If you can make clear the value statement of what's still being provided and the flexibility you're going to have in negotiating for your own project, I think this is a winner. If agencies get the sense that all GSA was really doing was negotiating a price and now that's gone away so I can do my own thing, then we're going to have uh, some concerns, I think, probably both in industry and in GSA about uh, using these uh, using these solutions. So it's incumbent on GSA and industry to sell this message together and point out all of the advantages that still are inherent in using a non-priced contract. Yeah, I think to your point, Larry, I think one of the things that G GSA strategy should entail is developing, you know, um, market research capabilities, you know, to balance, you know, the, the, the fact that the con at the contract level, you know, they'll be evaluating a bunch of stuff, but not necessarily price and focus on, you know, the task order competitions, but creating some sort of mar market research tools in the services area is something that, um, I think would be a, you know, great role for GSA. And in fact, I go back to the, you know, and this is a long time ago now, 2007, the, uh, Sarah panel actually had a recommendation. Uh, one of its recommendations with regard to the, uh, uh, commercial practices was for GSA to develop that kind of capability to support, um, you know, its contract vehicles and, and, contracting officers and, you know, assessing and coming up with government estimates and that sort of thing. And perhaps that's not a recommendation that was adopted, but perhaps it's time to take another look at that. Um, hey, I, you know, I want to, another thing in the services area, and I guess we can start the conversation. We have about a minute left in the segment, but, and we can come back to it in the last segment is, you know, there's a lot of talk out there and there's a lot of, um, you know, and GSA started to, 
uh, reach out to the services industry with regard to BICMAC, uh, which is, um, I guess, been um, uh, described as the follow-on potentially for Oasis and Oasis Small Business. Um, just curious, um, we can start the conversation. You know, what are you hearing about BICMAC? Well, Roger, uh, the preliminary word on BICMAC is that uh, GSA is uh, wants to change it substantially from what uh, the current Oasis contract is. And Oasis has been highly successful. Uh, and they want to do that in some areas that are certainly worth looking at in terms of small business inclusion and things of that nature. But I think the real uh, trick is going to be whether or not they come up with a new contract vehicle that looks enough like Oasis so that current Oasis customers who like the way Oasis works will continue to use the new contract. You don't want to have a new contract in place that your customers don't recognize and then they feel like they might have to go somewhere else. Yeah, Larry, on that note, let's we're up on the break. When you come back, when you talk about some of the potential differences between Oasis and, you know, the, I guess the current thinking around BICMAC coming from GSA. Okay. Yep. My guest today is Larry Allen. He is the president of Allen Federal Business Partners. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Larry Allen. Larry is the president of Allen Federal Business Partners, and you know, we, you know, we're continuing our discussion of the services marketplace at GSA, um, and in particular, BICMAC. And um, Larry, it'd be great. Can you run down through some of the potential areas of difference or evolution or you know, between the current Oasis and Oasis Small Business and what GSA is potentially thinking about with regard to BICMAC? Right. So realizing we're in the very preliminary stages, Roger, what, we, what we're hearing in these preliminary stages from GSA, first of all, you referenced having uh, an Oasis, an Oasis uh, large and an Oasis small business. The Big Mac would be one unified contract that doesn't have a small business companion contract for it. Uh, another change would be GSA does very, very heavy vetting right now. Uh, so the companies essentially have to prove that they have the capabilities to work on some of these larger task orders uh, that come through Oasis. That technical capability bar would be set much lower with the idea that that would attract smaller businesses and perhaps newer market entries so that you would end up with I think there are a few hundred companies on Oasis. The idea of that Big Mac contract would have several thousand uh, on it. And uh, in that regard, they would look more look more similar to the professional services schedule, albeit with the ability to do cost-type contract task orders uh, through Big Mac that you can't do through the schedule. Uh, it would be a consistently open solicitation, just like the schedule would be. And there would be a non-price component for at least part of the contract. So we talked in our last segment about non-price contracts. GSA is thinking about implementing that for Big Mac uh, as well. Uh, so uh, a contract that would look very different, lots more people, no uh, vetted pricing in at least part of the contract, 
reduced vetting of companies' technical expertise, uh, a lot more contractors to choose from for people who are looking for a lot of competition. But uh, again, one that is very different from a, a model that's proven to be successful. I mean, we certainly have good, robust competition through Oasis today. There are many contractors to choose from. Small businesses have their own contract, and that contract's doing well, Roger, with competition among small businesses, some of whom get the chance to graduate uh, and potentially will be able to be on the next uh, contract as other than small businesses. So, you know, that's been a successful thing for them. And when you talk to customer agencies uh, in DOD, especially who like the like Oasis, one of the things they like is they like the idea that GSA set the bar reasonably high in terms of capabilities vetting for Oasis and reducing that bar. You know, I, I think GSA wants to make sure that they talk early and often with DOD users about that and, and what the new contract will have to offer in terms of assurances that the new companies will have the same uh, degree of quality that the current Oasis contractors have. Uh, uh, if you, as I said before, if you build it and it looks good, your customers will come. If you look at, if you build it and it looks like something totally different from what they're used to, they may not. And there's actually uh, history on this. Just ask the Army uh, and do a little uh, case study on what happened between ECS-2 and e ECS-3. And you'll see, I think, what I'm talking about. Yeah, Larry, it's interesting. So, you know, I want to say Oasis as a program, the, you know, large and small business, you know, uh, contract platforms, what they do about eight billion, eight and a half billion, something like that um, last year. Um, it is the most successful multiple award IDIQ services contract uh, out there, you know, it's the schedules arguably uh, are the are, are right there as well, but um, it's interesting that you have such a successful model in supporting customer agency missions, and it seems like it's a hundred and eighty degree um, you know reversal in in strategy moving forward. And I so I guess you know one of the things I think about when you think about you know, authorizing these sort of things. What, what, what is the business case? Do you, do you have any sense of what GSA is thinking there? Well, I think Roger GSA is saying uh, now that they're really interested in uh, getting small businesses in and attracted to part of the Big Mac program. The idea being that companies that aren't traditional government contractors may offer new and innovative ideas and DOD has done a lot of that over the last five or six years itself, you know, looking for new market entries, non-traditional contractors. So I think that this is GSA's attempt to play on that. Uh, and I can understand that from a perspective, you know, you know, there's never a shortage of places you can look for good ideas, but I don't think that means that you automatically can assume that companies that have, you know, 30, 40 years of experience in serving government customers have bad ideas. Right. Uh, yeah. And, you know, so it seems to me the place where that 
is logical, like new entrants, and which historically it always has been, is the schedules program for small businesses. It is the you know leading small business. You know, thirty-seven percent of the dollar volume or so goes to small business under the program. It is viewed as the entry point. You know, the sort of validation for new small businesses. Wouldn't an approach of like you know for services moving towards implementation of 876, which reduce barriers to entry instead of using the 1980s version of pricing policy. Um, wouldn't that be an approach to get to that type of contract uh, capability or to enhance um, access to small businesses? Roger, I think that's a fabulous point. That has really been a good role for the schedules program. Uh, GSA has a robust professional services schedules program. The great majority of those companies are small businesses uh, looking to attract new businesses to that program, making the schedules program easier to use and providing small businesses with more support after contract award in a manner similar to how GSA provides support on its GWAC programs, I think would go a long way towards giving small businesses a good outlet. It's worth pointing out, too, that this uh, preliminary approach to Big Mac, Roger, is really different from the rest of the IDIQ market right now, even inside GSA. You don't need to look further than GSA's Polaris contract, which is uh, also coming in development. Mm -hmm. Polaris is looking at uh, a self-scoring scorecard, a prove-it scorecard that I like to call it, similar to the one that GSA used for Lyant, similar to the one that NIH is using for its COSP4 contract, where the bar, and similar to the one that's on Oasis now, where the bar for technical capability, you have to show proof that you can actually do it, that you've actually done it, that you've worked on uh You've worked on technical projects uh, of a certain complication before. It doesn't mean you end up with no small businesses. You certainly end up with plenty. But what you end up with is a different type of small business, small businesses that have the experience. If you want to have a lane for small businesses that are newer market entrants who are hoping to gain that experience and prove themselves with innovation, I think a strong case can be made that the GSA schedules could be their first home. You know, Larry, we're, uh, we're, we're at the end of the show. <laughs> so, um, that's a good way to end it. Um, you know, we'll, obviously I'll have you back and we can talk about some of the other big issues out there, but it was good to have a show where we focused uh, primarily on GSA. So I appreciate that. I want to thank my guest today, Larry Allen. Larry is the president of Allen Federal Business Partners. I'm Roger Waldron. You've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.